I'd like you to think about one word that describes the effect that Jesus had on people when he had conversations with them recorded in the gospel. Think of situations where Jesus met with someone and had a conversation of some sort. What is one word that might describe what happened, the effect of that conversation, the changes that came about as a result of that conversation? Just one word. There's probably all kinds of them that are coming to mind, but just one word to describe the effect of Jesus' conversations in the gospel. Belief? Belief. A relief. A relief. Somebody else want to take belief? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Calming. Calming. Amazement. Amazement. Free. Free. Forgiveness. Surprise. Transformative. Transformative. Love. Love. Oh, this is good. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing, isn't it? All of the things that happen in people's lives just because of conversation. We might say all of the things that happen in people's lives because of prayer. Because a prayer with a conversation with God is prayer, right? I was thinking of some words myself. Insight, confronting, convincing, confounding, comforting, healing, restoring, reconciling, inspiring, enlightening, transforming. But these kind of things only happen if the person engaged in this conversation is having this conversation with a heart of sincerity and humility, right? You don't get much out of a conversation if you go into it without a willingness to listen, without a willingness to be humble, without a willingness to be sincere. So I'd like to direct your attention this morning to one of uh, the examples, one of the few examples of a completely useless, unproductive conversation that Jesus had. It's in Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20, I'll begin reading at verse 19. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him, arrest Jesus immediately, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. This is the parable of the tenants that uh, immediately precedes this. But they were afraid of the people. Keeping a close watch on Jesus, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor, speaking of Pilate. So the spies questioned him. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and what you do and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <coughs> Jesus saw through their duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. 
They were unable to trap him in what he had said there in public, and astonished by his answer, they became silent. There's a list of words contained in these paragraphs that reveal the things that hindered this conversation, that undermined the effectiveness of this conversation. Its foundation was built on bruised egos. Jesus had told a parable there in the temple that last week of his life, which showed the chief priests and the religious leaders in a bad light, and so they were a little offended, as we might say today. There was an attitude of revenge in their hearts as they entered into this conversation. They had been publicly shamed, and they were going to try to catch Jesus in something that he said. There was fear, surrounded by crowds, and they weren't quite sure which way those crowds might go. And so there was a fear factor involved here. It says they were pretending. Pretending to be sincere, which meant that they were insincere. And then there's this fascinating word, duplicity. That just sounds like it's going to undermine any good that might come out of this conversation. They're not being sincere. They're not being honest. They're not being people of integrity. They're being duplicitous. And then they're trying to trap Jesus. No surprise that their inability to accept the truth about Jesus and themselves meant that they would ultimately be blind and deaf in this conversation, right? They did not enter this conversation honestly. They weren't really interested in getting anything out of this other than some words that might be able to trap Jesus. Look again in verse 21. The spies questioned him. Listen to what they say. Teacher... We know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Did they mean any of that? (laughs) No. They didn't believe Jesus spoke the truth. He wasn't being right when he said any of this? And yet these are the right words, right? We know that Jesus was a teacher who spoke and taught what is right. We know that he did not show partiality. We know that he taught the way of God in accordance with the truth. So they said all the right words, but they didn't mean any of them, did they? How are you going to get something out of a conversation when you're lying through your teeth? The conclusion of this conversation says that after Jesus' reply, they became silent. They were completely shut down, stymied left empty-handed in their quest to find evidence to arrest him. 
they became silent. I don't know about you, but that's my favorite phrase in this story. I don't know about you, but I love it when Jesus puts people in their place, people who were religious authorities or hypocrites or self-righteous people who thought that they were going to get something over on Jesus. I love when Jesus just puts them in their place. Any, anybody out there? Am I the only one? No? Okay. And Jesus' reply to their duplicity silenced their attempts to trap him. So this is great. But the more tragic thing than Jesus being able to silence them was that they silenced a conversation with Jesus that could have transformed their lives. These people go down in history as people who had an opportunity to have an honest conversation with Jesus about truth. But because of their duplicity, got absolutely nothing out of that. Silenced the opportunity to have a conversation with God. They're not the only ones that do this, are they? Let's be honest with ourselves. Some of the things that silence our conversations in the world and with God I've been paying attention to in recent weeks and recent months and years. Uh, the first is the loss of the ability to have any kind of a compromise conversation in our political dialogue. You, you, you follow politics, don't you? And it's the Republicans against the Democrats and the Democrats against the Republicans. And if, if, if the other side says something, then the, the first side is going to say, no way, we're not gonna have anything to do with that. We're just gonna shut that entire thing down. My way or the highway is how most political conversations seem to be going in this country. A good word to describe that is intransigence. An unwillingness to find common ground. We sometimes do this in our conversations with God. We silence the conversation with God when we insist on my way, or that we assume that we know better than God, or that we know it all. And please don't say, oh, pastor, that's not me, because I, I contend that every single last one of us has thought at least once in our life that we know better than God. No amens to that, huh? God, my husband or wife has cancer. I want you to heal them, and I want you to do it right now because that's the best thing that could possibly happen. Just a small example of it, right? Often in our prayers, we tell God what to do. Thank God for being big enough to hear us. I have had some conversations with a friend who told me about a time in his life where he got to the point where he just, he said, God, I want you to leave me alone, and I'm going to leave you alone. I know better, and I don't want to have a conversation with you, so let's just agree to disagree and not talk. He spent the next 10 years of his life not having a conversation with God because he knew better. 
thanks for the mercy of God that patiently waited for him to come to his senses. But sometimes we blame God for things in our life and we disengage from the conversation because we know better. A second thing that I've observed in the world, this is a phrase that I wasn't aware of up until Russia invaded Ukraine, but false flag strategies. A false flag strategy is that you make up something about the enemy. So Russia says that the Ukrainians are using chemical weapons, which then gives the Russians a, a legitimate reason for invading or attacking or bombing or whatnot. We make up some scenario that puts the other person in a defensive position, that puts the other person in a position where they are seemingly doing something wrong. It's, it's another form of deception or dishonesty. Sometimes we silence our conversation with God that way too. Since God didn't do what I wanted him to do for me, he doesn't deserve my love. He doesn't deserve my obedience. We make a God in our own image, one who will do things our way. And then when he doesn't, we put the blame on him, which gives us a right to say, I don't believe in you anymore. And the conversation gets shut down. This week as I was working through this passage, Job came to mind as an example. Job silenced the conversation that he could have been having with God. He was having a conversation with three counselors, and then when they couldn't make any headway, a fourth came along and read him the riot act. But throughout that entire time, Job is insisting on his own righteousness. And he was righteous, right? But he kept insisting on his own righteousness, silencing all of the counselors, but while he was technically above reproach, there was still a lack of humility and teachability with him. He wasn't going to accept anything that those people might have said that might have been even remotely true. So eventually, at the end, after the human counselors were over, God sits down across the table, so to speak, and says, now it's my turn, Job. I hate this part of the conversation, the last few chapters of Job, as God puts Job in his place. God says, and where were you when I created, and on and on it goes. Finally, in chapter 42, verses 2 and 3, Job responds. He says, I know that you can do all things, God. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Have you ever said that to God? <laughs> In an apology to the one that we've given the cold shoulder, have you ever said, surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know? Job was technically righteous. He hadn't done any of the things that his counselors accused him of, but still there was a lack of humility, a certain self-righteousness with him that gave God the cold shoulder. So it's not just the chief priests and the teachers of the law who silence conversations with God. All of us have a tendency to silence the conversations we could be having with God because of our stubbornness and preconceptions and lack of humility. But let's 
turn and take a look at some things that might not silence the conversation, but might amplify the conversation. Rather than silencing, they might make these conversations more constructive and helpful to us. We find this in Jesus' answer to the question posed by the, who should I be paying taxes? As part of his response, he says, give God what is God's. Give God what God deserves. Give God what is rightfully God's. To give God what is God's is to unconditionally surrender and consecrate ourselves to God. Did you know that God deserves to have you? I say, do you know that God deserves to have you? He is our creator. He is our heavenly father. He is the lover of our souls and he deserves for us to give him our lives, including the right that God has to have both the, both the first word in any conversation and the last word in any conversation. God is the one that sets the agenda in our conversations. So perhaps I need to be a little bit more eager to say, I give you permission, God, to do anything you want to do in my life. Lord, have your way today. I remember one of the smells in Boz, and I'm starting to lose my memory, but they were uh, some famous Nazarene missionaries to Swaziland back in the beginning of our denomination over a hundred years ago. Uh, one of the, the sons of the original uh, spoke in a church where I was uh, a pastor at the time, and he said something which has stuck to me. He said, every morning I wake up and I say, God, I'm reporting for duty. What do you want me to do today? I'm reporting for duty. You can have the first word, you can have the last word, and I want to hear everything in between. Wouldn't that amplify the conversation we're having with God if we say, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. <laughs> What's on the agenda for today? To give God what is God's also means to make our conversations with him a greater priority than any other conversation we might have. I want to talk, or I should want to talk with God more than I want to talk with anybody else. I meet monthly with a spiritual director, and I talk about what God has been doing in my life and in emotions and thoughts and feelings and all these kind of things. And oftentimes I tell her what I have been having a conversation in my own head with myself about, <clears throat> or I tell her about the conversations I've had with other people about these things. Time and time again, she comes and she says, David, have you talked to God about that? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, how quick we are to turn to a friend. How quick we are to ask another human being or read another self-help book. How quick we are to have conversations with everybody. But wouldn't God just love to be able to have a conversation with you and, we, and me about everything that's on our mind and heart? Have you talked to God about that? 
they bring us back to Job. Chapter 42, verses 4 through 6, the Lord said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you, Job, and you shall answer me. Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Isn't that a beautiful verse? My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. We could be having a conversation with God every single day of our lives, which would do all of those amazing things that you called out. We could be having a conversation with God every day of our lives that would be absolutely transformative. But so often we come into those conversations with an attitude. Instead of repenting and saying, Lord, I'd like to hear from you today. Let's pray. Lord, one of the most amazing things is the fact that you invite us to talk to you. One of the most astounding things is that you have ears to hear what we are thinking about, concerned about, anxious about, happy about, joyful about. Lord, one of the most amazing things is how patient you are. That when we prattle on about things that don't make any sense or don't make any difference, you patiently wait until you can get a word in edgewise. And that word is always one of conviction and comfort. It's always one of correction and transformation. It's always a word that is exactly what we need to hear. Lord, the last thing in the world we want to be is duplicitous. We don't want to be demanding. We don't want to assume that we know better than you. But sometimes we do. Lord, help us to learn the lesson from this conversation that Jesus had. Help us to learn the lesson from Job's story. Help us to come to you first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear, ears of humility to hear, ears of honesty to hear, ears of openness to hear. And thank you that you will then open our eyes as well. That you are the truth, you are the life, you are the way. Thank you for the conversations you want to have with us, Father. Help us to engage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.